Again, this <laughs> is pandemic episode nineteen. We're stuck. At, I I don't know how many pandemic episodes we're on yet, but um, this one's really good. I'm actually gonna do it a, a little bit different. Join here, yeah, with Mark. Obviously, Keegan Dillon is in the Hi. room, and for the first first time, hopefully not the last time, uh, Tom Asturias. Is that right? Yeah, good. He's been uh, practicing that last name all morning. <laughs> I have a really hard time with it. Nailed it. Um, so instead of diving into your profession, which we'll get into, which I think is the least interesting thing, to be honest, because I'm a little bit <laughs> fatigued on the subject, um, I watched you get a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And Outstanding. Yeah, congratulations. Oh, thank yeah. you. This is under uh, Johnny and James. Yeah. Uh, so we trained together. Uh, I've talked about you. I watched you. Johnny get his. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I consider you um, one of my teachers. Uh, you've showed me so much in jujitsu. It's insane. You're like one of the few people who took the time to make sure that I wasn't fucking around and wasting my time. And so I really appreciate that. Um, but also I kind of wanted some background on like what got you into jujitsu yourself. Um, well, we have to go back a long ways then. Um, <laughs> I used to, when I was in college, I worked, uh, with somebody named, uh, Lonnie Foster, who's since had passed on, mm. who was, uh, good friends with Pedro Sauer when Pedro first moved here. Mm. And Lonnie used to come to work and he, he would say, Tom, you need to come to jujitsu. And. I said, yeah, whatever. I don't even know how to say what you just said kind of thing. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> but eventually eventually, I went and I, I participated for about a summer and a half or something like that. I, I don't remember what, how long it was, but it, it was it was too expensive for me at the time. It was, I think, $35 a month. Um, and I, at the time, I considered that to be a waste of my money. And uh, so I stopped going. And throughout my life, it was one of the things I just kept, it kept haunting me, that, mm. that departure from then. Um, it just kept haunting me. And I kept coming back to it, and I kept thinking about it, and I didn't engage in it. I went to graduate school. I did all the things I've done. And, and then I eventually I got to this place about 10 years ago now, almost 11 years ago, where I was looking at going back to school or you know getting even more education than I had. And... And I was like, that's ridiculous, Tom. Don't do that. Go do something, you know. So I started, I started doing yoga. And I was like, this is, this is cool. I'll enjoy this. But I really, I feel like I want to, you know, choke somebody. <laughs> I want to so, do yoga, but like with people. I, <laughs> yoga gave me the same exact reaction, yeah. except I didn't enjoy it. I just wanted to choke people. Yeah. <laughs> so I, At I, the yoga class. At the yoga <laughs> class. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I, I found Pedro. I moved back to Utah and happened to move back. And then I, I went and walked into, you know, Johnny's school, Johnny James school. Sean Weaver was there. Paul Sizemore was there. Mm. You know, all the guys were there. And um, I saw Johnny the first day, and it, he said, you know, you have a free week, you know, and you can, it was like, it happened to be Christmas, like right where Christmas was, so they were about to go on break. And I, he said, you know, I have a free week. And I said, no, nah, I'm ready to sign up, you know, after like one class. He's like, you know, it's okay, you just, you know, go ahead, take the time. I said, no, no, I'm, 
I'm ready. Take my money. I'm okay. <laughs> Here, take it. <laughs> so, and then I haven't. That's how it's been ever since. When I first, the first time I I went to jujitsu, um, Sean Weaver was a blue belt, and so this was like in '93. Oh shit! So wow. U- UFC one. Yeah. Yeah. was coming in and out of town so you know it wasn't that i didn't have a good you know introduction to it i just right. my you know 22 year old brain didn't um you know didn't trigger me the right way as it did as it has obviously now oh that is so crazy mm-hmm. that's really fun i i think that's common though like I, there's something that happens when you first do jujitsu where you're kind of like i know this is important for me to do but something i don't like when you're younger it's really maybe it's too um uh, maybe it just it, it it breaks you down too much like it, it's too honest like it shows you w- how weak and defenseless you are yeah. and you really don't like that when you're 22 and like full of raging hormones and ready like yeah i could take on the world this thing where you're like that like you know 115 pound girl choked me out does it make me feel real tough yeah and so you walk away from it, and it's not consistent with my self-image. <laughs> <laughs> or your, your, yeah, your, your developing self-image. You know, yeah. you're, 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 you're still learning your confidence. You haven't, you know. I think oh, that probably or pretending has, your confidence, pretending it. You know. Well, everybody I've talked to, at least in this space, that's rolled mm-hmm. upstairs, that I've rolled with, your story now. It sounds like everybody goes to jujitsu yeah. and then leaves it and yes. then comes back to it. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, I've kind of done that too. Like I haven't rolled in three, four months, which for obvious reasons. But at the same time, like. I don't, I'm, I'm just not into it right now. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, being a Harry Krishna or something. You like dabble in it and then you go away and then you're like, I kind of like those haircuts and then you come back to it. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure I understand that analogy, okay. but I'll go with it. I, I, I was really drawn to the, the selling of pencils <laughs> is why I got back. <laughs> okay. uh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> that, there's something elusive about jujitsu and then when it was calling it's like screaming at you you're yeah. like no i have to do it all the time every day i can't get enough of it and then even within those time periods i've had like i can't it takes too much energy like it's like if i don't put the right energy into it i'm gonna hurt myself and then i'm gonna be resentful about the the art and my training partners and all that stuff the the this whatever pandemic hit it like a really shitty time because i was like flying with it Mm -hmm. i was going so hard all the time getting really good uh for my like own you know reflection of what i think is good for me at this point and then this kind of happened and that that is honestly when people are like oh how did COVID 19 affect you in the quarantine i was like i don't get to do jujitsu that's literally the only difference I don't care about any of the other shit. I would give up everything. Jujitsu really pisses me off. Yeah, it's it's um, it's uh, it's such a social it's a social thing. You know, I I think that mm. you know that's how I found jujitsu. I think what keeps me in jujitsu is the same thing that keeps me, you know, skiing. The same thing that keeps me um, doing a lot of the things that I do are sort of quiet Zen things that are sort of in, even jujitsu. I mean, yes, there's somebody else there, but there's also a very, you get to this place where it's all in your own head, you know, whatever mm-hmm. is happening. So much of it is happening inside of you. You know, you, you're, you're holding on to something. You're, you're trying to, to, to move your body in a way or to, you know, anticipate something or to change directions, but it's really happening inside your own head. You know, the, the, the longer you do jujitsu, the more you recognize, the easier it is to recognize that it's not about moving the other person, it's about moving yourself. Yes. And I think that yeah. that, that 
I, I use that analogy not just from a from a physical thing standard, but also figuratively, meaning like you're constantly have to be moving yourself. You have to move yourself out of your comfort zone. You have to, you know, challenge yourself with other partners, with other people, smaller people, bigger people, more, you know, more riskier people, you know, dangerous people, <laughs> not so dangerous people, you know, because that all those things kind of meld together. You know, you never, yeah. it's, un, it's very unpredictable who, who is the, you know, the master or who, who's the, the person who can injure you or, you know, teach you. Yeah, you know? it's almost as if you couldn't, you, you couldn't become proficient in develop, you could develop the skills, but the proficiency would lack if you, even if you rolled with the best person in the world, like logically, whatever, Gordon Ryan or whatever is your only coach and you just roll with him and you're, you're supposedly getting the best instruction from the best person at the peak of their uh, athleticism. And it's almost like you wouldn't be as good as 90% of the people that just have a, you know, they they melt here and they melt there and they have this this input and this input. I felt that that was a really, like, a really important part was to roll with people worse so that you could understand how to help somebody learn and then roll with people better so you could then relearn how to learn. And then more athletic so you could be humbled and... Um, <laughs> not like try to reach their level but compensate their level by mm -hmm. oh man I can't outwork this person they're fitter than me I'm going to have to be smarter and then other people be like this person's skill is too high I need to outwork them so there's like this quadrant of complexity that allows you to experience and what, yourself and, and what what I think um, weaves its way through all of what you just said is trust Ooh. you know you Ouch. have <laughs> hence why it, I never went. <laughs> Therefore, I, I can't find my way back. <laughs> it's, it's, I, mean, I have trust issues that are just not going to go away with any. I think that's true. Intervention. I really do. Like, uh, and obviously, like I, I mean, one of the last. Well, times I don't think my trust issues went away. Oh, okay. Just, it's it's we have weaves in there. You're, you're, you know, it's, it's just I've I've become more trusting of myself and my discernment of who I don't trust. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because this is, it's very true. Like, um, I think the last one of the last times we rolled, we were just drilling something, and I tweaked Tom's arm, and it was like I was just moving fast and being clumsy, thinking that he was in a bad position. He reminded me that he has, I think, quote unquote, I have fifty year old elbows. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And it was like, you know, hopefully it wasn't too bad um, and it recovered. But it was one of those things that it's like, yeah, we all get injured. There's all mistakes. But one of the things is like, fuck, he's not going to trust me anymore. And now I'm not going to have a good teacher. And that was really the loss there was like, I'm going to have to earn trust again, which means I'm going to have to think twice as hard and practice slower and like, even if I think I have something, you better double check yourself that you're doing it the right way. It yeah. was like, it's funny how me hurting you probably hurt me more because it affected me for like weeks where I was like thinking about it nonstop. Yeah, you kept checking on me and making sure I was okay. Like, I did. I, offered him, I was like, hey, I have this guy, Ryan. He fixes things. He's like, I'm fine. Like, yeah, we just. No, was... you're old and crippled, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Let me baby you. Yeah, I haven't walked on my hands since. No, oh. <laughs> or before. So, okay. You know. So there's no big loss there. I, I, the trust thing is really interesting. Like uh, people that I feel are uncareful with my safety and are not aware, even though you're right, it is, it's an internal thing that's happening the whole time. I'm just dealing with my own ineptitude. 
they're just you know the signal that i'm responding to to deal with how i deal with it um but there's some people that don't take that seriously or don't allow you the self-reflection because they're too busy trying to hurt you right yeah the the the, their interest and i think at some point it it does change i mean are we all interested in winning yes i mean does it feel good to be successful and to demonstrate technique in a Mm -hmm. in a live situation and and you know win quote unquote um or you know at some point in time is it more important to learn and and i think that those things kind of some days it's all about you know winning some days it's about learning and and being able to balance that and move back and forth between the two i think is is a successful life and successful experience with jujitsu because i know there's days i go in there my whole you know I want matches to last about 30 seconds, and if it lasts longer, <laughs> then I'm, you know, I'm, I have a problem with that. But, you know, but I can't do that all the time because you're not learning anything. I'm not learning anything that way. I'm not, you know. Yeah, it was shocking to. I mean, I've talked about it on here when James came back from. I think he came back from Austin uh, recently, the last IBJJF um, thing, and I saw the video of it. Uh, it was like 27 seconds or something. And it was it was literally like, you know, scramble. He goes for like a fake arm bar, then ankle picks, then you know, open mm-hmm. guard, knee cut, mount, and then he does something weird that you can't see from the other side, and then there's a tap. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's fucking James for you. And then I had a private with him the next day after he's back, and I was like, right on, man. And I was like, how do you feel? And he's like, I just feel like you know, I got stuck on some stuff, and I feel like it could have been smoother, and I probably shouldn't have hesitated. And it was like. Dude, it was 27 seconds. Yeah, he was on the mat for, I think it was three matches, and I think he was on the mat for less than a minute and 40 seconds for <laughs> all three matches. But, but and, and Tom, you might know this sort of from skiing, is that, that sometimes, I mean, when you're in that space expressing extreme competence, mm-hmm. then time just extend, it just opens up. Yeah. And 27 seconds becomes you know 2700 right you know 100ths of a second that you can also you know take apart into thousands in your own head and it doesn't i mean i measure i remember certain magical shooting runs when i used to compete where you know, it's all over in six seconds or seven seconds or whatever it is, but it just seemed to be going on. You could see the casings ever. come out. Yeah. yeah. Or, or even more interesting is yeah. if you can see an actual bullet, Fly, yeah. you know, on its trajectory, you just go like, man, that, well, I guess that's what we're trying to do Yeah. sometimes slow is to down. like just, I mean, in, in a lot of things is to slow down time. And I think there are different ways of, changing our relationship to time. So do you think that's part of, sorry, do you think that's part of the expertise in, is that um, I'm so familiar with what's going on that I can process all information, therefore all information compresses and expands time because you're you're essentially seeing more, you're identifying more things happening in one instant so it kind of displaces your take on what time is. And, and it may be par- partially to do with having lived through the process mm when you couldn't appreciate like the sense the the sensory input was so great that you couldn't identify the individual component parts the 
the you know the feeling of like oh I I know exactly where the pad of my finger is yeah on the trigger and is it flat or am I coming in a little bit wrapping a little bit and is that like all of those things in the beginning you don't have any relationship to. you can't identify it and so time is just like you look down and you're like that I, I, I th- uh, that took like twelve seconds are you kidding you know or I mean you yeah. have no idea where it went and then later I think that familiarity with all of the extreme details yeah um it, it, and and not being surprised in some way maybe either mm-hmm. yeah, I, was, just, I, I don't think time obviously time doesn't physically slow down it doesn't exist you, Keegan, you need to read some theoretical physics <laughs> i don't want to read it based on the words you just said <laughs> but, but or, I, I or do my comment my actual disposition after yeah, you, reading it you as a person okay <laughs> too many syllables i didn't hear a thing <laughs> but i think there is like when you become an expert at something like the little shit that you know beginners think about like when you first said that it's like okay like 27 seconds for johnny was probably like it was it happened he thought about every little aspect of the stuff that he can within that 27 seconds because he's an expert at it and me as a complete beginner in 27 seconds i would just be out of breath and i would have no idea what else happened <laughs> what happened well i was gonna you say had, no no excuse me keegan 27 seconds you haven't even tied your belt yet <laughs> exactly <laughs> like oh i like, for sure tied it but it's definitely wrong okay yeah <laughs> I, I mean in contrast when i did the last tournament i think it lasted six minutes and 50 seconds it was near the end there's only maybe it's even i can't remember but i mean that's how beginner i was i couldn't notice the time because i, I got up from it and i was like why am I so out of breath? It's been like a minute and it'd been fucking six or seven right. or whatever it ended up being. And it was like, my forearms are blasted. I'm like, I just did a six minute workout and I'm yeah. wrecked. Like I, and the whole time you just, every muscle yeah. in your body is locked in. And I mean, you know, <laughs> watching, watching those, Matt, watching James or Johnny mm-hmm. compete anytime. It's just it, it, James most recently. I mean, everything that he did in those matches he drills like Mm -hmm. incessantly so his muscle memory his the hesitation that he's implying i think comes from the idea that he has done those moves so many times and he's done them with people that he knows and people that he doesn't know and people that come to visit the gym and things like this but then using a competition standpoint and the other person it's like i think he was as he moves he's anticipating something from the other person they don't do it and so that time that mark's referring to is you know things get sort of stretched out he feels like he he was really slow moving to the next thing because he anticipated them to do something that they didn't do and so he he like oh they didn't do that and then yeah yeah lights out it's over you know as soon as as soon as uh, you know the ankle pick as soon as he does his knee slide the match is over you you, (laughs) anybody who knows james knows that that it was just a matter of time there wasn't any you know, I, and after those matches, I, I watched and I talked to him about it. And I said, I think you're going to have to go down in age. You know, you're going <laughs> to have to get start, younger. <laughs> you're going to have to get younger because the guys my age, you know, they can't keep up with you, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> He's, he is a freak of like his. I think I admire more than anything his, his ability to practice. Mm-hmm. How he practices is so mindful that it kind of like in most cases when I ask him a question, he has to really think about it because he is at a level where he doesn't think like I do. So he has to, oh, well, you know, I don't, I've never really 
well, it's kind of like this. And then he'll describe the feeling, which means he's essentially um, a, a better nervous system than I am. Like he has like, I don't know, more sensitivity into every part of his body. And I'm still stuck in my head thinking that there's like a logical way to work through something. When in reality, it's like his reaction is not intellectual. It's intuition. It's like I felt him move off center. So I moved this way. I felt the knee open. So I just moved. I didn't even look. And me, I go, oh, you know, Tom told me to cross my hand and do this. And I'm still have this like really clumsy checklist, which works awesome on Sam because he's slower than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about like a fucking hundred pound head. Sort of. Yeah. You're dragging that around on the mat. Like what is conscious? Unconsciousness is what I know. (laughs) Shockingly. I mean, this has really impressed me about Sam is he's gotten better. He's like, gotten a lot better. Insanely better. Like to the point where I can't just finish it like when I want to. I have to like actually work for it. And I thought that that's what I wanted. Like I, I wanted somebody that would like step up a notch. And he's really like stepped up and tried hard. And you're like, oh, jujitsu is the thing that no matter what your predisposition, you can find a style in it and get good at it. Right. Doesn't matter if you're slow, doesn't matter if you're <laughs> fucking six foot eight and fucking 110 pounds like <laughs> with a hundred of that being your head yeah and he could like and, put his ankles behind his neck and his ape index he must be plus seven oh, oh easily his all limbs and legs and a little torso i mean that's <laughs> the worst thing is i can pass his guard and somehow his like foot is still in front of my face <laughs> and he's like wrapped around me i don't this is not normal like i have a fucking koala <laughs> he still g- goes to yoga yeah he does yeah so uh, but but you've already achieved now, it, Sam. You're already a yogi. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you stop doing that? I, I think he does it for the chicks. I think so too. Probably. Yeah, the hot. He's I mean, like, there's hot yoga chicks. Maybe. That's different than chicks at hot yoga. But <laughs> much different. No, they're okay. just chicks, and uh, they're in hot yoga. Yeah, that's, hot yoga chicks is. But that's a different. That's a different. Like, I'm not talking about aesthetically. Yeah, okay. Because. <laughs> Just, I don't agree. Because <laughs> so higher temperature, higher temperature, <laughs> hot. Yeah, it makes. I don't. I, watching fevered. Watching fevered. COVID nineteen. Yeah, easy with that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did they check temperature for that? Just beforehand, I guess. You're all gonna have a fever in like within five minutes of being in the room. So well, it's, it's yoga, so it's probably a cure. Right. I don't. I mean, CBD, I some, some stretches, some hot yoga. You're fucking. <laughs> don't good. forget essential oil. <laughs> I I think that's one of the things. Oh, so this kind of segues nicely into your real profession, which actually, you know, maybe you can. I think how you teach jujitsu, I think, is your real profession. What you do to probably pay your mortgage is in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What do you do specifically? So I don't get it wrong. I'm a physician assistant. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And so you've dealt with, you know emergency room stuff yeah most of my career has been worked in trauma okay um in some big hospitals around the country and then um i've done did some worked in transplant surgery a little bit and i've worked in uh, general surgery as well hence the name trauma tom hence the name that was a nickname i got in (laughs) new york um that was uh uh one of the nurses at the hospital i was working at she um she was, there was a the hospital had a lot of um, Jamaican nurses that 
just because you have to imagine the accent of this yeah, yeah. The, the person who said this to okay. me but i went and i was telling her that we wanted to transfer this patient out of off the unit because it was we still had step down units which was sort of in between the icu and the floor and and she said to me she's like she just looked at me and she's like trauma tom that patient is not ready to leave <laughs> and i said <laughs> I was like, what did you say i said what you know, I just I've got only, my fight name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at that point, I mean, I don't, I'd only been a PA. I had, it was like my first year out of school, really, and and um, so it was, it was just funny, and you know, everybody, there was people standing around laughing, you know, everybody was laughing, and then it just sort of stuck, and then it just has kind of followed me, nice. you know, wherever I went, because I mean, I don't know what it is. It just flo- flows off the tongue, and so people started calling me that. Even as I moved to another hospital, it just sort of followed me, and you know. So I, you know, if I call on the phone, I, yeah, it's Trump Tom, you know. <laughs> and so it's like, a sweet UFC name. I know. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's never too late. You're they have an a, island now. Yeah, the, ger- <laughs> the geriatric. Uh, the ger- yeah, me and Randy Couture. Yeah, say, is going to be a UFC Masters, Masters division soon? <laughs> yeah, me and Randy there has would, to be man. at some point. I think me and Randy Couture would be in the same weight class and age group, and I don't have any interest in I don't want to face that <laughs> You want to go do a little dirty boxing? <laughs> He's really good at getting hit in the face, and I am not good yeah. at getting and hit in the face. he doesn't seem to care. Yeah, he just sucks and, all, he absorbs all damage. Yeah. Um, so what got you into medical field? Like what? Um, well, I, I think um, I wasn't good at anything else, probably some of it, um, or wasn't. There were other things that I did um, didn't inspire me as much to continue to continue education. You know, I think that if you find a profession that you can do that keeps you engaged, keeps you investigating, keeps you curious, keeps you working hard, uh, can, you know, continue. You you want to do the reading. You don't feel forced to do the reading to to keep up or to to stay ahead of the curve. If you're if you're if you can find a profession that does that for you to you then you should stay in it whatever it is and and the other things that i had done leading up to that didn't do it um when i was uh i started off as a tech as many people in healthcare do and i i did uh, blood gases for a while i did which is like a respiratory thing really Mm -hmm. stick the artery and take blood and look at respiratory status and ventilated patients and i did um I did. Uh, I was an EKG tech for a while, and did that, and you know, constantly was investigating and educating myself and taking things. I took the. Um, I ended up doing the. I did exercise physiology as an undergraduate, and then I ended up taking the American College of Sports Medicine um, exercise physiologist or exercise specialist test, which is really like cr- a clinically gauged um, exercise specialist kind of thing working with people with cardiac problems um that segued into going to graduate school at washington state in exercise physiology where i did that i started a program with doing with cancer patients and doing research into you know exercising them through chemotherapy and things Mm -hmm. like that um started that program which now is like common sense across the country yeah. at the time it wasn't that wasn't and I can't take credit for all that but I was you know in part of that uh, worked on that and then so at that point I was still considering going to medical school um, but lifestyle age um, these things started to you know bubble in me amount of days skiing you know medical versus you know physician versus a PA talk to some PAs talk to some doctors and 
by by and large the PANP their job satisfaction was much higher in the my very small N that I <laughs> investigated, but they were all, I mean, 100%. And there was a few physicians that, you know, who weren't, who had gone back and reboarded in other specialties or weren't, you know, weren't satisfied for one reason or another. Um, and that's just the group. The group I, I've worked with since, I mean, I've worked with some of the most passionate, engaged people I've, you know, ever, I, I, I can imagine, or, you know, curious and all the things I mentioned, you know, that's, that kind of, th- you know, enthusiasm is contagious. And, whether it be for jujitsu or healthcare, I think if you're an enthusiast, an enthusiast of it, um, and want to do things well and right, then or the what the closest to right that you, as you know, um, then you know. Stay was, with it. What was the quote I stole the other day? Is um, enthusiasm is worth 25 IQ points? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I, I think I was in. I can't. I, I think it was Naval, but I, I think you're yeah, right. Think it was. The the enthusiasm, even it's for. A subject that I don't care about. If you meet somebody that's into it, you're like, oh, tell me about it. Like, why is it interesting? Because it didn't grab me the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's that's probably something. In, in, in this, in light of like what's going on now, like what is the feeling like working at what I would call the ground level, like seeing this stuff up, up close and personal, like what is the sensation in your industry? Not that you represent your industry, but just, you know, you see what's going on. I think it's concern. I think that it's, um, the, in general, I think there's a lot of anxiety. I think that, you know, I think the anxiety is true in the community and it's true within the healthcare system. I think that, I think what society sort of recognizing and what healthcare is known is that hospitals and healthcare systems sort of run at this very high level of occupancy, mm-hmm. and and it's very it's and it works on a very, you know, we, we use these words a lot lately, and they're new to a lot of the community, but not new to us. These predictive models, we know, you know, give or take a few p- patients here and there, what our census will be any time of the year, mm-hmm. you know, and that's based on disease patterns it's based based on elective cases it's based on you know whatever it is but we all all hospitals that i've ever worked at and, and that i'm aware of work at this kind of level of occupancy that's very high right all the time i mean we are constantly every hospital i've worked in there's every day you know we're full we need to move some patients we need mm-hmm. to you know work on you know the throughput we need to make sure you know home health and skilled nursing facilities these are all places where people at one point in time stayed in the hospital for a, you know mm-hmm. longer now we have these you know places that they can go to move them out of the house, hospital to make room for the next the next group so i didn't know this so this is uh, basically the efficiency of like a sustainable model say we have so many beds we have so much equipment and that is in relation to our demographic they have so many flu cases so many cancers so many transplants so many you know accidents happen every so often mm-hmm. and you know, within a fairly local, right, localized area, is yeah. what you're saying, like around a particular installation, building, hospital, right, and, and and that's where like when you know the public information, right, you can go, uh, you know, a lot of things that I would talk about in this sort of context with you guys is is really what's available on the CDC because I think when one of the things that's missed for people that I see is you know having you know I think about these types of things often. Um, in that, 
you know, the number of people who die from, say, trauma mm -hmm. every year is X, mm -hmm. right? But that's over the course of 12 months. And the number of patients that, you know, according to statistics that are available on the, for Utah and for the, the country right now, that number is being surpassed very quickly by this rogue uh, agent that's moving about the world. And so, you know, understanding that time has a lot to do with right. how, how serious a, a problem is. Because if we had a, a busload, two busloads full of people who crashed their bus out here on I-15 and they all needed to be in the ICU at the same time, we would have big problems, right? That would, yeah. that would create a big um, vibration in the community. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be a you know a healthcare provider to understand that that would cause some chaos. The difference is is that that chaos would we I could almost predict as to how long it would last based on typical injury patterns, ISS scores, all these little statistics that we keep track of. I could probably gauge within reason how many of those patients would need a sustained amount of period of time in the hospital, in the ICU, in the mm -hmm. et cetera. The difference is, is that with something like this rogue agent that's moving, you know, with SARS and, and COVID-19, the disease that comes from it, is that that is a prolonged period of time in the ICU. Right. It is known. Like, the patients who are going to the ICU around the world, they're in the ICU for weeks. And so they're occupying, you yeah. know, the space. And, the, and so that creates a lot of anxiety for you know, uh, an institution, a hospital, a university, uh, you know, because you have to, if you're wrong on that guess, mm -hmm. you're going you're to create a lot of downstream effects. And, and so I think that, um, you know, the community at large, I think it's important to recognize that that is why and where a lot of the anxiety is coming from is the idea that you cannot we can't support it all. And so if right. it just, you know, we're, we're just talking about eight, six, what, six weeks, eight weeks have gone by and we have, you know, 500 hospitalizations. We have, this is the state of Doppel, you know, from the, mm -hmm. or not from Doppel, from the F Utah Department of Health today. I think it's, you know, 5,500 yeah. positives, somewhere around 500 and something hospitalizations. And then we have now 60 deaths. We've had, I think it was 10 people. The number's changed about 10. Yeah. It's gone up 10 this week. And so when you extrapolate those numbers, you're like, well, that's like exactly what it's been everywhere. You know, you yeah. have 10% of required hospitalization, and then you have about 8% of those or so have died. And so that is like just marching out statistics epidemiology that you mm -hmm. can see worldwide. And so that... Yeah. And so, I mean, I didn't understand, uh, I didn't uh, recognize, you know, it, it seems like the the hospital industry, um, because like how we might not, um, like any business doesn't want to um, have too much inventory of anything because there's a cost associated with keeping that inventory. They stay with like kind of the predictive, like, I think we're going to sell this much in the same sense, it's a smart business model to balance that thing. And then something like this comes through and completely skews it the other way. Um, I, th I think that's one of the interesting points about 
the statistics going around around this disease too is that people are trying to compare it when they are having yearly models like you're like oh this many people died from the flu in a year and you're like yeah it's been two months like you can't you'd have to compare what the flu does in two months and then you can have an accurate model for deadliness but even then it's not as contagious or it's not this it's not that um if it is novel like that means comparability is really difficult um i think one of the things that people might take when we like talk about um the ability to think for yourself or be autonomous is that we don't take the disease seriously which is untrue um what i do think um i think it should for sure be taken seriously like if it can kill you or and especially if you have you know comorbidities coming along with it there's no reason not to take it seriously um I think one of the hard things is it is that it's really hard. Like we talked about trust yesterday, because it's a, a kind of a big deal. People have a lack in trust in any industry, let alone in America, where we're specifically kind of suspicious yeah, of, of everything. Of, and and of everything, honestly, and especially so, and and more so. I mean, it it, it escalates when our suspicions are confirmed as being uh, like nobody does anything to allay those suspicions yeah and they're just like i'm suspicious fuck i was right yeah that yeah, exactly. like because that person's saying one thing this day and one thing the next day and then these people are like not admitting that they were wrong but just charging forward doubling down on the the treatment that was appropriate you know six weeks ago but may not be appropriate now or whatever and and i think we just you know get more and more sort of suspicious or yeah, sure. you know unable or just to just confirm our bias yeah, which yeah. is suspicious yeah. but I, when people are pointing to the, like the Sweden model they're like see they didn't lock down that was the way to go and I go I think the biggest difference isn't that they didn't lock down it's that they don't have politicians giving health information they have a ministry of health and politicians are not allowed to interrupt that they have people that they trust with an actual thing and it doesn't ever intermingle there is no you know task force with somebody else even mm-hmm. if it is the CDC it's like it's it's become a partisan issue when well, it has become, nothing to it, do with that to, you know as a it, what it's become to me is it's become a, every state for themselves and so every state has a little bit different of a of a path and a different and which isn't necessarily wrong either right but there there isn't a uh, a group a vocal or something that we can hear or, or privy to right on a daily basis where we see the governors speaking to each other and discussing mm-hmm. issues and and having a sort of a public dialogue about what they're doing what they're expecting what's the difference what are we going to do next where you know wh- what ventilators are you anticipating what's your you know what's happening in Des Moines today how many new cases do you have right to, I have to go search all that information myself it's not being given to me the way that it probably is in Switzerland or Germany right. I mean Germany had the most widespread testing of anywhere right. so they have a true understanding of prevalence of disease there mm-hmm. which we don't have here because you know but one of the things that um no one has ever come forward and from a leadership position and said, we don't really want to do this mm-hmm. particular action, be X, Y, whatever. Um, but it's the only thing that we can do right now. It's it's going to be bad. That's not what a hero sounds like, Mark. <laughs> oh, man. And everybody wants to be a hero. They want to be the guy well, that did well, the thing. But, th- but they could, I mean... 
you know, hindsight's always, you know, what it is. But the the idea that you, you say something like that, Mark, and you say, you know, we need to do this for this, you know, for an unknown period of time, but these are the reasons why. These are the reasons these, why, exactly. Because even today, there's so many questions that are unanswered, you know. Yeah. And in, in to, you know, we can only, in, in people, the... You know the the people who want things to be reopened. I understand. I get it. I, you know we all are missing things, and I'm ready for things to be reopened in a, in, a, in a certain way as well. But the idea that the because we don't there's so many questions that still aren't answered that we're not that aren't clear. Yeah. That aren't. Um, we know that, um, or I'm I'm fairly confident that like when you look at People say, well, Italy, right? If you look at the whole country of Italy, they did actually rather well considering the population, the age of the population. But you look at one specific area in Italy, you go to Lombardy, go outside Milan, that had a whole different outcome, a whole different demographic. And the reason I think the, the reason that I hold on to for that is because of the Champions League soccer game. And so the that was a Valencia and Bergano and everybody came to Milan right at this time, right at the place in the curve when there, it was circulating, it was out in the community. They know it was there before. They, didn't, they know that now. They didn't know at the time. They yeah. had these kind of d- diseases. They had people coming from all over the world. They all came together, and then they all went home. Super seeding or super spreading event. A super spreading event. And so that, that seems to be rather clear that that occurs. And so how do we avoid that? I mean, if we had gone, I mean, I say to myself, thank goodness we didn't have, you know, March Madness. Because yeah. yeah. what would have happened? Because that was one of the first events to get canceled. Yeah. You know, like the NBA, the NC2A, the mm-hmm. RSL, and the um, MLS. I mean, everybody shut down, you know, really quickly once things started to jump off. Right. And so I don't think that we're in any better place from these questions, these unanswered questions, for all those things to just start up again. Sure, yeah. yeah. Which I know that a lot of people will be pushing for, but I, I but it, from a, an intellectual standpoint, we're still like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing, like when we talk about it being a partisan thing, you know, the immediate deal is like Republican, Democrat, yeah. or whatever, you know, you're on the right, you're on the left. Um, but I think the other partisan piece is essential, non-essential. Yeah is making this very clear divisive sort of thing. And, and in the Erickson video, it came up. It was like, hey, you know, you're, you're a journalist. You're a reporter. You're still doing your job. You're still getting paid. Your opinion is necess- on this or your ideas about this, your relationship to it is necessarily going to be different than the person who is two weeks away from not making rent. Yeah. Right. Because they've been now they've been furloughed for, you know, unemployed for four weeks or six weeks or whatever. Right, yeah. um, and so I, so I think there's a, a, a partisan um, sort of a, 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 almost a confrontational relationship that develops. Um, and that's, I, I, I think, I don't think it's people who are missing, like, I really want to go to the movies who want it to open up again. Yeah. It's like, I want to open my business and I, you Pay know, my rent or... I, you know, applaud the um, lady who runs a salon and Texas when the guy said admit your guilt and you know go back and you know sprinkle the ashes on your head and everything for because you you know you broke this you know this emergency declaration um and she refused because look I think it's essential and responsible to earn a living to feed my children right and 
yeah, that uh, we talked you kind of mentioned out in the hallway um and i i totally agree the thing that is kind of profoundly baffling is it is not uh this side or that side like there is no right answer and there's like there's there's the one field that you know it's kind of become dogma that if you have any questions towards the actions that we're taking like well, why is this happening? Then suddenly you hate healthcare workers and you want everybody in the world to die. Like you're, you're some kind of masochist because you're not wearing a mask in public or, you know, you're basically a baby Hitler because you went, took your kid for a walk in a park and you put everybody at risk like that. It, there, that's like obviously the extreme vert and I'm being a little bit facetious, but actually all of those things have happened. So on the other side of it, it goes like, no, we're going to rally around each other and it's become, you know, a, a kind of a Trump rally. Not that, you know, what, like for whatever, we're going to storm the Capitol and demand that, you know, I get to my daughter has to have a lemonade stand and like ridiculous shit that is actually absolutely non-essential. And so you have these two sides. And if you make any comment, you're thrown into one of those sides. And in reality, there's like there's this really interesting nihilistic fuck the human species reality of it which is healthcare workers absolutely need to be protected only because that infrastructure means like multiple uh, like an exponential rate of death if we lose that function of society so it needs to be protected but the other part of that is that there is no such thing as a non-essential person in their livelihood. And at some point, most people don't have, I mean, most businesses didn't have two, like banks didn't have more than two weeks of cash flow. Hospitals don't have more than two weeks of cash flow. And so you can't pay people and then people can't function. And the only people that are really asked to sacrifice are A, healthcare workers. And instead of the sacrifice being part of like, man, you're really worth something right now. Let's let's make it worth your while to take these risks. Instead, it's like send them free pizza and then at 8 p.m. let's clap for them or whatever, which is I think a ridiculous notion. Um, especially, but it, means, but it means a lot. I mean, to sure. the people in New York where that's happening, it means a lot. I mean, I, I you know I went to school out there and mm -hmm. I have you know friends who are working in those hospitals and I know people who've been out there and. It means a lot to them because it's a it is a war zone. It is sure un, you know, it's unimaginable what what this what this disease can how it can ravage a community and and it's all relative. I mean, Utah is a I mean, it's a relative thing. You know, sure. what ravages Utah will not ravage New York the same way. It would be a dent, but it's about utilization and. It is different for sure. And I think your analogy, your analogy holds up because it, there isn't that there shouldn't be gratitude for people doing, you know, going above and beyond because anybody at any point could like it is an actually war. You could quit at any moment and be like, I don't want to deal with this. This is too dangerous. So you are going above and beyond and dealing with something that is uncertain, putting your risk, your health or something on the line. But much like the war analogy, what I'm saying is that Halliburton exists and there's people raking in like administrators are still making millions of dollars and healthcare workers are still getting paid hourly and or being laid off because there's not, you know, some of the voluntary functions that happen at a hospital where they can make that income and then pay people for it. So there's there's this side of it that I think needs to be talked about on a realistic scale, uh, a, you know, 
protecting people who are in risky areas and part of the infrastructure that helps society stay healthy. Right. The, the unfortunate, I mean, before we get too far down mm-hmm. this road, I think that what's unfortunate isn't that is the way that it was kind of the discuss, where the discussion even came up that mm-hmm. there was an essential and non-essential employee. The fact that these sorts of terms are being used yep. to describe the society's reaction to a pandemic is that's what's the misfortune because yeah. then you create this this language and this communication with people like you know that you're not as important as somebody else and that's just not true and, and and I don't think that was necessarily the intent or whoever you know they came up with these terms you know non-essential and essential people because. Well, but they never said people. It was it. It was jobs. always tied yeah. to the to the yeah, work to itself. Work. Workers or jobs and, or and it's come up a few times yeah. on the podcast where I mean I started looking at it and realizing like okay everybody identifies themselves with their work right. and so when you're saying my my work is non-essential that I am as a human being I'm non-essential right. and that creates a whole sort of ongoing existential crisis that is unresolvable yeah. at, 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 at this point. So the unintended consequence of the, of that language is greater mental health issues down the road for those who do survive. Yeah. It, and I think it's and, easy. Like people start poking holes in the essential, not essential when, you know, a, a hair, somebody that owns a hair salon can't go cut somebody's hair, but then you go to the drive through at in and out and there's 15 people working inside that are 30 inches apart from each other. Right. And you're like, okay, like I can't go have one person come in my salon at a time and cut their hair, but these 15 people can be in a 15 foot radius of one another and it's totally acceptable. Yeah, it's a, you know, society is, a, we're we're social. I mean, this, I'm sure you guys have talked about mm-hmm. this on these other, or other podcasts, but we're a social animal. Yeah. And so these, you know, quote unquote, non-essential jobs, a lot of them, were places that people went that for served, socialization. Sure, exactly, yeah. serve a social function. They served a yeah. social function. That was a place where people went to commune and to be together and to to discuss and to share problems and to you know this kind of thing. And I, I'm be, I mean, this is a big generalization. I know mm-hmm. anybody who's out there listening, I understand the generalization I'm making. But I think that it, in some ways it's true. I mean, you know, nobody would ever question that we need you know the police or we need the fire department. But they've certainly had to change the manner in which they do their work, and so the manner in which they've they're accomplishing their job is much different today than it was three or four months ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and yet the hair salon owner is not permitted to adapt. adapt. Right. Exactly. Their their own behavior in or you know in to, to, to maintain their the you know their function or the function of their business, and I think this is an, another th- sort of top down thing. And again, it's just like, hey, we don't want to do this, but we don't know of any other way. And if you can just bear with us for a while, yeah. we're going to try and come up with some um, s- some change in infrastructure or behavior patterns so that you can reopen your business. Which that you know nothing has been said about that. There's no. Sort of, you can't go anywhere and look at a guideline like I got a restaurant. How do you, you know, everybody here has to wear a mask. That kind of keeps them from enjoying my services as a, you know, (laughs) food provider. Inability Um, to eat the spaghetti that I ordered, but but, food looks great, but I can't take my mask off. So, like, there there isn't an, an interactive way where I can. You know, I could go and say, hey, look, this is the business that I operate. This is how we used, you know, this was the sort of the square, 
you know, the volume inside the space. These are air handling system. Um, th these are, you know, the sort, the sort of square footage. These are the number of people we're, you know, we're normally used to having in here. We can probably cut that by half um, and still like, I, I, I can put my business on life support. I still yeah. would just like it to, you know, work. And th those are discussions that I'm not hearing from other, you know, business owners as something that's, you know, occurred. It's just like somebody shows up and says you're done and yeah, going to be crime scene tape across the door pretty soon. <laughs> I just, I wonder, you know, cause it, there's, we have so few answers, you know, it's yeah. Like yeah. just tracking the disease has been difficult enough. Uh, but do you think we need to have definitive answers or can the, you know, would it be acceptable for the public, the members of the public who are willing to serve as the frontiersmen and women, you know, to sort of, you know, develop, you know, through exploratory means, some p possible answers to those questions and some, you know, wrong ones, right ones, whatever, but something so it's not so that you have more people experimenting, asking questions, trying to come up with solutions rather than placing all of that responsibility on people who are already overwhelmed. They might not even understand each individual business yeah, or, yeah. or something like that. I don't think like there's that. any reason they should, right? Like why no. would some, why would the governor of Utah understand a CrossFit gym relative to a hair salon yeah. compared to a bar? Yeah. I, I think there's no doubt that how we shut things down was the only option. Like you have like even arguing that there was another way is ridiculous. There was no other way. There was modeling this that showed exponential death, and the only way to like the only weapon against that, in in light that so many Americans are diseased already and the comorbidities are pretty well known, was like man, a lot of people are going to die. Go I mean, hide. That's I mean, however. There's still people getting sick who don't have any of them. For sure. And it's not, so it, that's what makes it a little bit different than some other things, right? You know, in that they're still, you know, people are getting sick and getting very, very sick who don't have any known comorbidities. And so that is the, you know, the risk of it. But, but that, in that thinking, that's really dangerous because you're identifying um, an absence of evidence and concluding that, it's an evidence of absence when in reality we don't we have a really hard time identifying health we can identify sickness really well sometimes like you know we have the we have the factors that are you know oh it's it's blood pressure and it's the vital signs it's you know pulse and pain and what all these things that are that are relatable and reportable and then you know you you do hear about oh well it's like a triathlete he died he's the healthiest person and you're like i know triathletes I know exactly what he died from. He has systemic inflammation. Like, we just don't have a way to measure it. So I agree with you. There's always going to be the off chance person. I could be one of those people. I think I'm functionally probably okay. I try to take care of myself. I watch this kind of thing. The risk is, I mean, yeah, and I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not, my intent is not to be devil's advocate as much as to say mm -hmm. it's that both things can be true mm -hmm. at yes. the same time. And so, you know, you can't, but it's about, you know, asking, you know, the risk is if you is, you know, can certain things open up? Yes, probably. You know, I, I don't, I think that there is a way and a degree and a manner to 
start for society to sort of you know test the waters or to be frontiersmen as you say but they More aren't like brave new world <laughs> <laughs> it would i mean but you're not doing it in isolation and so that's what's hard is that you're you my my personal you know feeling is is that my concern is not necessarily for me mm-hmm. like most of what i do and how i behave and what i how i am at the grocery store it's not about me it's about you sure it's about yeah. who i come in contact with because i don't know But you're only going to come in contact with me in public if i'm also willing to take that risk well i would say that that's right? would mean I, I to, mean, a, to an I, extent it, it, i wouldn't be out there otherwise and, True, and, but some and people, if I was, and if I had someone at home who was at, at you know high risk, some people don't have as much choice, and so yes, I think we agreed. have to make you know there has to be we have to make some a society as we embrace because I mean clearly this can't go on for ad nauseum. It can't go on forever. I don't think that's realistic, and I don't think that's what anybody intends. And I don't, but it. But there has to be some engagement with the people, those who can't. Yes. And so, you know, all of this is about, from the very beginning, you know, shutting down from my standpoint as a member of the society was about circling wagons, right? There's a rogue agent coming into the Mm -hmm. community and we have to protect ourselves. So we circle the wagons around the most vulnerable in the population. Mm -hmm. And as we start to go out now and seek out that that element and seek it out either as a you know intentionally or unintentionally um how do we continue to protect those who are the most vulnerable because there i don't think it is as predictive as we would like to think that who's going to how it will work because of its contagion the the level of contagiousness sure and in in terms of you know you know what's a really important right now looking at the Department of Health numbers, I mean, there's a lot of extrapolation occurring to determine the prevalence, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And that's, to me, is a that's unfortunate. In, a, in our country, I think for the most part, there are some states who are, that are starting to, it seems like from what I read in the news, are, are starting to pick up and get a better sense of the prevalence. But you look at the countries and the areas where they've been successful in blunting and slowing and, and suppressing, it's the 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 countries that have had the best uh, investigation into the true prevalence of the disease, because all we can do is extrapolate. Mm-hmm. Most of the pe- people that are coming that we know have been tested either had a known contact yeah. or symptoms. And for, and for many of them, they had symptoms. It wasn't even that they had a known contact because that didn't, wouldn't have triggered a test for most of Unless sure. they had symptoms. Unless they had yeah. symptoms. So you mentioned Germany before. Mm-hmm. Um, and a military friend who's over there now and he said oh yeah down south it's it's way worse but you know we're very efficient here <laughs> um and so was the um was it just the the frequency and the you know, they were the, doing the, the, the broadness of the testing from what i read like because i i get i read um uh covidreference.com okay i call you know post it out there it's it's public information and it's um, but they talked about one of the things they discuss is that you know Germany was testing five hundred thousand people a week. Mm-hmm. They had that sort of capacity. Okay. So I mean that's a huge number for yeah. a country. I mean it's what's Germany forty something million I think maybe or no eighty. I, I was going to say I think it's got to be more. Yeah, I think I it's like yeah sure. right. Yeah. I think it's uh, like double California in terms of population something like yeah. that. Um, but don't quote me. So so they're doing you know five hundred thousand tests and they also you know were able to efficiently 
mind the border a little bit. So yes, in, but if you so if racist. you test <laughs> if you test asymptomatic people, then you million as of 2019. So. Yeah. So yeah, if you test out. asymptomatic people, then you have a sense of prevalence. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So right now we 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 you know when it was coming down back in February and March, the eighty percent of the people who have it are asymptomatic. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And when you look at the state of Utah, fifty five hundred, if you consider them to be symptomatic, and that's twenty percent. And even if you want to cut that back, you start extrapolating those numbers, and you're like, holy crap! There's a lot of people running around out there who don't know they're sick. Yeah. But did we set like? I totally get this. That this would be an easy problem to fix if we did not have the culture of healthcare that we do have. I was just at a hospital getting voluntary blood work to check something like two months ago. And, you know, sign up. I'm a cash pay, no insurance. This is what I need checked. This is exactly what I, I want to check off. Here it is. You know, here's my money. Take it, do the blood, get the results. Two weeks later, I get a bill and it's for like nine times the amount on top of what I already paid. People in this country are terrified of hospitals. 66% of bankruptcies are happening because of medical costs included. Mm -hmm. So I like I totally get like, man, we should just be testing everybody. That'll never happen because we've set up this way of healthcare that bankrupts people and is dishonest about the cost of the actual care. And so we won't be able to like, it, it's kind of, I don't know, we're kind of deserving of the result because of what we set up. Not not that you're responsible for that because you don't you you work for them and you're not part of what de decided what this industry would be a part of. And I don't want you to like think that's a criticism of you. It's it's more like don't we all understand why there's no testing and why people are afraid of hospitals and why you know when I got my elbow reconstructed, I tried to ask how much is this going to be because I'm a cash pay. And they're like, oh, you know, we'll send you a bill. Cool, $67,000 later, that's how much it was. My appendectomy, same thing. How much is it going to be? Oh, it'll be fine. We'll just send you a bill. There's no other business in the world that works like that. Like you don't you don't walk into a store and you're like, oh, that bread looks good. How much is it? Like it's $10. And then later you get a bill for $250 because they forgot to tell you that the plastic and the tie for the plastic was actually $1,000 or whatever. And it's on sale. I There's... <laughs> There's this weird... But don't worry, your food co-op can negotiate that price down and they'll only have to pay yeah, and I've, 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 a portion of that. I'm, it was a six-month journey for me to, to get my prices for healthcare for what I owed hospitals down because I didn't... It's not that I didn't want to pay for it. It's that why would I pay that price when that's not a real price? It's just like a made-up number. And so when it comes to the testing, I feel like when they're like, oh, everybody needs to get tested. I'm like, I don't want to go to hospital. Like, I don't want a fucking bill that I can't well, afford. Yeah, I mean, well, what's that? What's scarier to me, though, is people who need to be in the go to the hospital right now are afraid to go yeah. because sure. yeah, yeah, there's absolutely. a pandemic going on. Same, same, same problem, so, just amplified. And, and I don't, I mean, in, in terms of the COVID testing, I think that the, I mean, my understanding for the most part is that there's, you know, people who get it. Now, the people currently getting it, they, I mean, I don't think they're being charged, and I don't. Th I think that the government is supposed to be helping or you know supplying on some level. That, that's the tough part for me because it's never know. been made clear. 
No, because it's gone back and forth, right? Yeah, so that, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> hence my suspicion. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> We're back to the trust thing. <laughs> right, exactly. Trust yeah. weaves through all of this, right? So, yeah. but when you look at the, you know, like California, for example, some of the first testing that was done, it didn't come from the federal government. It came from the UC system developing a test, and in you see, San Francisco has made that available across the board, and you know, so people, the states have been sort of from my reading of the news have been kind of left to themselves to figure this out. And I think we're, we are a little bit lucky to live in Utah, which is a state that kind of prides themselves on being able to, to do these things and come together and, and formulate a plan. And I've worked in, you know, a number of places. And I think that, you know, to your point, um, you know, I think that it's been easier historically it's not easy it still happens you know people do go often go bankrupt from from uh health care um but i would be careful about generalizing the what the numbers in the country to utah sure oh yeah um, absolutely and so yeah. you know i think it, it does vary a little bit from state to state and the the ability of, of pe people who need it to get health care um you know one of the, the good things about that I, you know, a lot of times if you need it here, you're going to get it, you know, yeah. and, and um, so I think that that's a positive thing. And I think it is scary. I mean, I, it's scary for people and um, the, the idea, but I think, you know, we're the, you know, some of the things that you don't hear about and you don't see or that, you know, by going back to, you know, Mark and the frontiersmen and, and people going out and getting sick is, is that if, if we're wrong and it happens, it cre it's still the same, we still come back to the same problem. Sure. And yes. so, you know, it, hindsight when it comes to a pandemic is there's no luxury to that. I mean, it, it's either, it's like, oh, that tsunami wasn't quite as big as I thought it was going to be. It was still a tsunami and it still ravaged, you know, some ex population but so, only three miles inland as opposed to 10 <laughs> but the but yeah. the 10 miles in the repercussions the the, oh. the ripple effect is the valve replacement is the you know these semi-elective procedures that occur out there in the community that we can't you, you don't have the room or the resources to do and I, so that's the risk i think the, the hard part for me to kind of like tie all this together um, is not knowing like when it stops and speaking of trust like no leadership has given us any reason to trust them on when anything's going to happen or how it's going to get done and then it's kind of like okay you know COVID-19's killed this many people what's the ripple effect not of COVID-19 but of our of our country's stance on what we're supposed to do to quote-unquote flatten the curve and how many years down the road do we see deaths in things from that on top of what this disease or virus already is. And I mean, I don't have the answer for that. I don't think anybody does, but like, I just, I don't see like a future yet where like things open in their, whatever the new world is going to look like. And I think that's where people who aren't working, who, you know, can't pay their next bill, don't know how they're going to get food. Those are the people like batting down the doors that are kind of like, what the fuck's going to happen? Because mm -hmm. nobody can seem to tell us anything. Yeah, yeah, I don't think anybody knows. Well, I, it's some of the things that we do know, like we brought it up a little bit before, like how do, how are um, how do you guys treat it like functionally with comorbidity? Like somebody comes in and, you know, they have, you know, a BMI of 30 or something. 
or they have some other uh, underlying health condition. Like wh- well how done. do you, well done? <laughs> do you take it more seriously, or like what's the difference? Be- like in in the functional work with working with somebody who might be at risk, older, overweight. I mean, I don't know. I think that you know some of that data. I, you know, for me, looking at you know, trying to tack it on to a comorbidity, I think that there's not enough data, and the and and some of that's because we don't know. Um, there's so so many questions that we don't have the answer to now. You know. If we measured IL-2 levels in everybody, would that tell us, you know, who's at risk? Not necessarily. And so, you know, the I'm more focused on, you know, those who get it, how do we treat it? And what are the, you know, what's the mechanism by which we can, you know, try to ride it out? Because I think that it's with us mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if there's a, com- for me, it doesn't matter. I mean, what's the comorbidity for an ACL? I mean, it's like, it's still going to happen, right? We're still going to treat them. We still take care of them. We still do the thing. So sure. it, it's like the the idea that, um, you know, trying to manage people's comorbidities as a risk factor, yes, that should occur and that will occur. But this isn't, that's not where we are. Well, so uh, well, how I look at it now, because this, I mean. That's, a, that's something that should be happening outside of the. Outside, well, outside of probably your acute practice for sure, but as a function of healthcare, it's a- absolutely a function of it because most our cost in healthcare has to do with obesity and type two diabetes. Right, of course, we, you're talking about preventative medicine, and so you know, preventative medicine is a, you know has been around forever now, but trying to get people to follow these sorts of directions is is much more difficult than getting them to even follow the directions that we've had for eight weeks. We've asked people to stay home and not go to school and not socialize and not, and look how, how they responded to that. But there was also before there was like, you know, there's an argument that obesity was a lifestyle choice and it actually has nothing to do with health and therefore the fight against it was oh don't judge me this is like everybody is beautiful which it's not to say that there isn't an aesthetic thing but america's view on leanness had to do with an aesthetic it had nothing to do with health even though it really does have to do with health first and what i'm saying is like we've had two months do you know how much like excess body fat the normal population could have lost if there was advice from a trusted source granted this seems to be the thing that's lacking in every subject that we touch and i like well i mean but i would say that there has been i mean uh, i mean the um presidential like what was it when i was in school mark what remember when you're the with the presidential fitness thing back in like the 70s and 80s yeah that went away. That's what this was all. That was all about this. And you know, like I, when I, preventative medicine has been around um, as a you know an entity, but there's, it's not supported here. You know, and, right. and so these things. I mean, we have conversations with patients. Um, you know, the healthcare system has conversations with people about um, lifestyle choices and hypertension and salt and excess body weight and exercise and walking and you know the these things are happening but it's hard to you know people are um it's uh 
we're a challenging species. <laughs> yeah. But but I think a funny like if 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 not now when um, right. is is part of it because I think now it's just like hey if you could like if you want to improve your you know how your, about if you want to go back to work you could reduce some of your risk by taking these lifestyle factors into into consideration. But remember that you know that what that does is it decreases the severity of disease. Yeah, sure. It doesn't decrease the the prevalence of the but disease. it might mean that someone doesn't get all the way to the ICU right I mean maybe might I mean I'm not suggesting thing is, you know is, I'm not saying you should inject bleach into your you know self but <laughs> like but listen it, it was totally excusable it was hydrogen peroxide that's an actual therapy hydrogen <laughs> peroxide is a disinfectant blue light treatment is being used through an, an intravenous method we were totally wrong he's a stable genius I can't <laughs> I, I have no sorry no more no words um, but, <laughs> but that's all he had to say the, and it would have gone over just fine he did not say that but it, anyway. it was um but but this the idea like and i would you know i can shoot holes in my own argument mm -hmm. because selena's done a fair number of diabetic toe amputations yeah. and the behavior never changes sure know, it's yeah, like yeah. one toe two toes half the foot you know and then like <laughs> okay how far do we need to go well to the neck i guess uh, um, before somebody will will change their lifestyle, so I don't think that the threat of this, for some reason, is it's still not enough. Yeah, to cause behavioral change, I guess until you see it up close, and then there was an actual data supported, experience driven, actionable thing that you could do to you know put the blast shields up or well, whatever uh, this is like i guess what i'm really touching on one of my gripes is like fundamentally there's really poor nutrition advice either in the medical community or the fitness community or what whatever there isn't but the consensus is fairly well known of how to eat healthfully and exercise healthfully and to change your lifestyle factors to increase sleep, increase exposure to sunlight during certain hours of the day and these things actually lead to positive outcomes and when we get, and, and this is back, you know, to put on, you know, a tinfoil hat that is tinfoil as I get these days is like the CDC recommendations for nutrition are absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like to increase soy oil intake during a pandemic <laughs> is fucking stupid, period. And full stop. Oh man, we're going to get deplatformed now. Well, yeah. We're I not mean, on YouTube. And, and, and so for me to go, and again, this authoritarian thing that comes down, it's like what they say is gospel. Yeah, they know more about pandemics than I guess anybody between the World Health Organization because they've been studying and ramping it up for a while. But really, they don't know anything about nutrition. Oh, they're funded by Nestle and General Mills and Coca-Cola. Now their advice makes a lot more sense. That's the that thing I think needs to change. And I think having honest conversations about it is the only way that it will change. And I, I think what well, decreasing sides, I mean decreasing your blood pressure mm -hmm. and decreasing your BMI and or your weight. I don't like the BMI. Sure, but, it's a bad. You know, we have to think about different parameters for health and weight than the BMI it's outdated it doesn't it's not useful it's a good number if you're excessively high sure it works very well for especially in if healthcare. you're in the middle range it does almost nothing it doesn't yeah. it's, it's really it can be hurtful too it can it can it can be hurtful for people but 
all of those things, all the lifestyle issues, all the, the, preventative, the, the things that would come into preventative medicine will improve your outcome in any disease, any surgery, anything that comes across your trauma, your gallbladder surgery, your mm -hmm. whatever it is. It, improving those things will improve your um, outcome and your uh, the morbidity, mm -hmm. decrease the morbidity of any health-related issue, whether it, you know, anything. Right. So, you know, to just to apply it just to COVID, but we we know this, mm -hmm. right? You don't have to, you know, work for nonprofit, <laughs> pun intended, <laughs> to to know this, right? We this is this information is out there, and and you know, I see. I don't worry about the misinformation as much because it's self It's it's Darwinian like evolution, not, not on a short enough timeline. Uh, I mean, if you think like IVing silver into your veins is going to cure your COVID, you kind of deserve what you get. Sorry, I know you're trying to help people, but I'm also trying to help us from those people that are helping themselves. I've always wanted to be <laughs> like have a silver lining because <laughs> I am just such a depressing person to be around. It's and, all on top of your head. Yeah. Oh, uh, th yeah. There's it's some... coming out. It's true. I, there is there there is this thing like the free flow of information is not all positive because it means everybody has a platform and if you're charismatic you have a little bit more leverage than normal and your ideas might not be so good and everybody's looking for something to just fucking latch onto yeah well, especially think, that fits their narrative already sure well, especially if they're like the healthcare system is corrupt and the CDC is corrupt and Fauci was involved in this AIDS thing and I don't I, uh, he's trying to kill me and Bill Gates is trying to vaccinate the entire world therefore I'm going to inject myself with silver because they tell me not to my own, my own best bet is myself right that's yeah. the you know I'm the only one who can help me and mm. and it's you know I mean Un, you know, in some ways, it's unfortunate. Well, that that's a very confident position to take, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, and it's, it's, you must be a black belt. But it also, <laughs> but it also seems it also seems a little bit pessimistic, right? That you know, and I, I think that the you know, or cynical that the our country has gotten to a place where people, sort of, that's their thought that they that I'm the only one looking out for me. And, yeah. You know, my neighbors aren't, my friends aren't, people at the grocery store aren't. You know, like the government isn't, you know, so I'm on my own and I need to find, you know, six or seven other people who have exactly the same, you know. So what? your pessimism, I call autonomy. And I think that's the most beautiful expression of human collectiveness is actually collecting autonomous individuals to then work towards a project. Like that, sure. that's what I described. Well, that's how this country system. was founded, right? It was on right. factional yeah. factions and people have an equal voice. But, but they were also you know at times more patient with each other i think than we are we were loud and we were vocal about our differences but we were also a little bit more patient but we could also only shout so yeah. loudly and be yeah. heard so far away yeah. whereas now the shout on facebook that, is just fucking telling everybody there's no <laughs> volume knob on the shouting mm. and the reach is you know into space yeah. as far as i can tell and um but I, I think that you know and that's a diff I, I think it's a difficult thing to me I don't think our um our, the, our, us as an organism like the human organism has a has adapted to the rate of information exchange no at all like we don't know how to handle it of course we're fucking up yeah, yeah. And, 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 and there's hence, not there's not a place to 
to you, you you know it's a we were we we were talking about out there you know you you cherry pick information that supports a narrative and and so yeah. the you know do I trust everything I read in COVID reference or see no I mean I have to you know process it through my my brain and my my experience and my you know bounce it off of the people that I trust and. And communicate and, it's and, and so I think exhausting it's really it? it's, it's hard <laughs> it's well, really it'd hard. be a lot I'm easier sure. if they just told me what to do and i you know did it and but w- one of the things that i've been doing and i'm going to try to change gears a little bit because i think that you know what keegan was saying is you know the idea that we don't know when this is going to end and we don't know when this will stop and when when it will be um we will look at it like some other coronaviruses that we know of, like mm-hmm. rhinovirus that, you know, the common cold and this kind of stuff, you know, when it will come to get to that place. And so is that I've been trying to, you know, because I got pretty down. I got, you know, about halfway through this. I was pretty, my mental health is so kind of tied up in my jujitsu and tied up yep. in skiing and tied up. In, and these things were just kind of taken away from me in a way that I never would have anticipated, never would have thought would have happened. I never would have... Um, and Even, probably didn't imagine the effect that that yeah. sort of separation would have either yeah. because it's, it had, it's no not possible to, to imagine. You know, I knew that I knew that they were important things for my own mental health. I knew that they were they were things that I needed to do and that I felt, you know, I was I gravitated to it and I had some affinity towards. And so so one of the things that kind of pulled me out of that funk is I started paying attention to the good things that have sort of come from this quarantine isolation slowing down of society this because there has been even despite my pessimism about um you know these the all for me and me and that's it and that kind of thing no because you could see it around the community around the world everybody's doing similar to the same Mm -hmm. thing right and everybody's going to come out of it in a different way based on their culture and their heritage and their their country everybody's going to come out of this in a different way and the but everybody was doing it at the same time which is just bizarre right i mean it's just to have every country in the world all people in the world sort of kind of quiet down Mm -hmm. shut down pollution change like these things like so what can we glean from this as a society what if you know i i've i work out more with my wife now i'm exercising with my wife we we have a we do that twice a week never did that before Mm -hmm. we have we are preparing food together differently than we did before. We're um, having more discussions and interchanges about our own health and how are we gonna, what are we gonna do and what's important and how we're gonna do this. We spend, and so I'm trying to hold on to those things and, and the same with from the healthcare standpoint, you know, you know, what things have come out of these changes that have occurred in the hospital that we would like to hold on to. I mean, what do we wanna keep? What, what things, what, you know, the un, toward circumstances or the untoward events that have happened, what are the things that it challenged us that we, the surprising benefit? Like what was it that happened that we need to hold on to as we do reopen, that we could change? Maybe it's some of the things you're talking about with you know, general health of patients and being more explicit about it, being more directed on every, every you know, at every point. Um, but, you know, I'm definitely going to continue to work out with my wife. I'm definitely going to continue to do this. My wife has found, you know, places that she exercises with from Instagram and YouTube where all these trainers that were out in these isolated places, now they're a little bit more public and she can see them and engage with them and converse with them in a way that she couldn't before. And so it's kind of changed how she embraces exercise and how, 
you know, those different kind of challenges. And I think, you know, each of us, you know, out there could also find something that's positive that's happening, whether it be family time or, and, and I would implore that you kind of hold on to those things and figure out a way to continue them, even as we move forward and go on, because that is how, if anything positive comes out of this whole event, which I think many positive things will, we will get through this, society will go on. I, you know, I, I think that it's, it's, it's plausible. I, I like where you're going with this. I'm thinking of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking open up a big optimistic live uh, gratitude whoa. journal. I was just whoa. about to go full contrarian, but rock and roll. <laughs> no, I'll do that. And then you can, you can be contrary to me. I think coronavirus will be the best thing that's ever happened to our civilization. I, like, I think it is a blessing in disguise. It proves, I'll start with a big one, obviously the environment. The second one is we have realized how much consumers we are, like how much we consume is beyond reproach. Like we, we don't need 90% Wait, of the shit. Beyond reproach? Yeah. That's bold. We don't need 90% of the shit that we make. I'm going to grammar Nazi you Did, on what that. Did I just say? It's absolutely reproachable. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I believe I got, our level of consumption, but, you know, so, I, your glass is half full right now, man. Rock yeah. and roll. Go so for I'm it. Super you got to so. look at the underlining. Yeah, yeah. it's the underlining problem of it. The, <laughs> just so you know, technically, yeah. underlining is underlying. They're the same thing. I'm just, <laughs> let's not doesn't exist either. So, I'm right there, not with you. Uh, the the consumerism <laughs> thing, I think, is a realization. Our personal accountability for our health is another good thing. In the microcosm, in the own world, I think it is awesome to recognize that. Oh, I actually should be around the people in the moment for dinner, for exercise, for the people I actually want to spend time with. It also makes you recognize the people that you haven't been around that you do not miss and the people that you aren't around that you absolutely do miss. I think one of my biggest fears is that although this is a big blessing is something like Johnny and James are unable to operate after this or like something happens to them because they mean a lot to me and it would like, that would be devastating to I know you and a lot of other people. Um, so the realization of who's important and who isn't is it's, it's clarifying. It's like a razor. You just like immediately cool. All those vacations that I thought were so important to me, those aren't it's, important at all. And I, you know, I'm lucky, mm. you know, I, you know, my job is I get to socialize. I get to see people. I get to interact with people. I get to make an impact on somebody's life daily basis. I get to, um, check in on people that I wouldn't normally see. I get to, you know, the my fellow employees and the other people who are going to work and are there, and I get to communicate with them and to share experience with them and um, talk to them as in a group about how are things going, what are we going to do next, how are we doing. So I have a different sort of, and I, you know, it, it's, um, and so, and I know that I'm lucky because of that, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, it saddens me or it makes me, I'm quite concerned for people who don't have that right now. And, and what are we, what can we as a society do to get that back to them as soon as possible without creating, you know, more chaos and mm -hmm. making it scarier and yeah. more, you know, mm -hmm. more risky. And I think that we're very close. I think that it, I really am optimistic about it. I think that we're, you know, this state at least, when the borders open up and we start moving, you know, 
if people are going to Ecuador or Colombia or Brazil, I mean, you see the numbers changing down there and it's scary. I mean, this is not going away. And so, you know, it's how do we, how do we manage that when people return? How do you, yeah. how do you manage it? And, and I don't think we're, we, we've kind of, we haven't gotten that figured out. For one, um, I've been a little bit curious uh, about. So we were talking at the, at, you know, in the start of the COVID part of this discussion uh, about how Utah, in terms of population, the number of uh, positive, te- you know, tests that you know have, 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 that we have, number of hospitalizations, number of mortality, you know, number of deaths. Um, is pretty representative in just statistically of other of where it, you know every other place in the world mm-hmm. um, in terms of it, hospitalization but not in terms of number per number of infections so per, we have a lower number of infections but per the, capita per capita but the but the numbers that in, the, the other numbers that ensue after that so yes. th- which is where I was headed so why do, do you have a like a hypothesis of you know about why the number of infections here are let's say lower and, and 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 apart from you know population density let's say because it's you know we're we're part of the urban you know suburban sprawl i mean just as a you know a few cities all strung together into one um but so, so there's that and then I, I was kind of concerned in the beginning of like oh well there's going to be a, a a number of missionaries who are returning from places in this you know time period Early on, and and I, I know there were some. Um, they brought I, them all home. Yeah, they br- they brought they brought them all home, mm-hmm. and I and I know that there were some infections, and at least I read about one family where one of the missionaries had returned and kind of you know had it whatever gave it to everybody in the house. Um, but but once that stopped, no other no other missionaries have been going out. Mm-hmm. No others after the initial return. Um, but is it is it because of the like okay all the trade shows are shut down anything that brings a lot of people to the state got shut down and this and and utah is essentially you know isolationist in its policies well i well i think um like by by way of policy or simple accident i guess well to answer the the first question from my own kind of observation i think that that's it really density of population plays a big part okay and so general health of the population I, I'm, I, I think or? the jury's out on that a little bit I, I'm okay. not gonna I'm not gonna I understand um, there is a um, you know you got to be careful about those statistics associative and causative right there's yes. a there's a that's mm-hmm. you know there's a, a big discrepancy in the in some of those other studies in terms of some of the comorbidities that they the, they find that the prevalence of hypertension is similar to the community in which it, the disease was found. Yeah, and so it's just a it's just a pie of the the, the population. Yeah, so you can't really say that it their disease is worse because they have hypertension. You can only say that hypertension is prevalent in the community in which the disease was found. Yes, and so those are the you this the crux of some of this those things that I find is difficult for me to like say as a you know somebody who um, I'm going to be slow to that sort of judgment. Yeah. But I think that Utah, we have three point something million people in the state spread out over X number of miles. Um, We live rather separated. 
our state is away from major ports. Anybody who returns, you know, most you have to stop somewhere in the interim. Um, but the disease got here. Yes. And I think that we have a, a community that, um, in general, uh, we we it really we got care in. about each other, yeah. and we and we do we do really actually care. I mean, and we want to we protect our own autonomy by exercising our autonomy to stay home like that i mean that was a conscious decision that we all made yeah on some level i mean everybody in this room i'm i'm just making an assumption for you yeah. or about you but yeah yeah i mean Before i remember even, yeah i mean i remember you know except for work you know going out and being someplace where there was a lot of people i was like i felt uncomfortable and i know and I, other people i've spoken to they felt the same way like this is not and so i think that we also had a community that was able to sort of lock things down but the disease still came and the disease is still here, and the numbers are still, it, you know. It mostly came in through that back door of Summit County, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So people escaping L.A. going yeah, to their summer going home. Going to their summer home, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, it was, anyway, it was but, also here before we quarantined and stayed inside, and it still didn't spread the way it's spread in other places. Like, we know people that had it before, a month before yeah. we ever quarantined, but it still isn't spreading in you know, doing what it does. And, and, and what we don't know about that is, did the, did the virus mutate. change? Did it mutate, right? yes. And I know that, yeah, I'm sure you've had people here who've discussed that too. And it's, you know, we don't know. Just hypothetically this. among ourselves after having read too much, you know, stayed up all night reading and you yeah. know, kind of. Yeah, that first like but, two weeks of quarantine, we'd all just come in with our own information and we'd all just like throw wow. it at each yeah. other. And, <laughs> oh, it was yeah. interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, so I think that, um, you know, density of population makes a difference. And, and if like not having, when they, they shut the churches down really quickly, mm -hmm. they yes. shut the schools down relative. I thought all those things happened about four days late. That was my, okay. my personal opinion was that when I, um, you know, back in early March, I, I, was, I remember we were having a conversation and my uh, stepdaughter was supposed to go to the basketball game with her, her dad. And, and I said to my wife, I said, that isn't happening. She's like, "What?" And I said, "They're gonna. The NBA is gonna close." And that afternoon, they closed Boom. it. Yeah. And so it was, you know. So I knew intellectually that this, this these things were gonna happen. And in terms of the schools in Utah, I thought they were, you know, a few days late. Um, in terms of what the, you know, what we were looking at, what we were anticipating. Yeah. And so, but we don't know why, you know. Because a lot of this is just dice, right? I mean, oh, for sure. I mean, the, it's not a. You, you know, it's like eight-sided dice. Well, I think that's also <laughs> what, when people are staying home and they're told not essential, and then you know you say it's like rolling dice. People go, "Well, wh why am I getting?" Well, we can say that now. I sure, don't know that sure. we could say that two months ago. Yeah, well, exactly, and and I think that's a lot of what you know people are seeing now is like, "Hey, I was willing then." Yeah. And but if you do the math, let's, let's, yeah. let's uh, do the math a little bit more. So based on the number of, like, and somebody has a calculator, they can check my math because I'm thinking about this while I'm talking. But there's about 5,500 positives, right? Yeah. And if we determine that um, that is... Michael, you're going to have to do the calculator thing. I don't even know what so, integers to put in. Or <laughs> so 5,500 positives per yeah. and if we figure that that's even if we just say it's 10 percent yeah right? so and that i can do that one in my head <laughs> so that's you know maybe or we could say that that's 
in this state, we'll say that's 50% of the of the total of the total number, right? Yeah. So there's you know the same number of people out there. So you, you start to pull that back from and divide it by three million, mm-hmm. and you get a number, and that number will tell you what your chances are of coming in contact with COVID. Okay. And so the if it's um, so this is the the R number the R not R- well the R not tells R-O. you how contagious it is. So oh, okay, like if there if one of us had it. Two of us, two and a half of us would get it. Are so going to get it, right, if, if it's... That's what the risk only is. Only your lower half, more. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what the, the <laughs> risk is for the, like, you know, for a large N. This would, yeah. this N would be too small to right. actually, for that t- t- statistics to, to, to stand out. So the, um, but somewhere, the numbers that I was working with, it puts you at about one in a thousand. Okay. To come in contact with it. No, to get the disease. To get it, okay. To get it. Based on the numbers that we have, and I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's about one in a thousand. So that is, yeah. those are the dice. So if you had a one in a thousand chance of winning the lottery, how many lottery ticks would you buy? You know, um, quite a bit. A lot. So the the risk is is not zero. <laughs> But it's a, you know what I'm saying? So the. I was going to say no lottery tax, just like the, the state tax on the stupid. No, I'm sorry, <laughs> I just don't play that one. <laughs> Regardless of my All right, possible so odds. Anyway, analogy, anyway. But yeah, it, yeah. You know, just for me, though, because, you know, plenty, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that is fairly high. It's a pretty high. And so, so then you take that number, you say, okay, let's well, say it's one in a thousand. Maybe it's one in 2,000. So what? Double it. So you have, you know, you're, you decrease your risk by half. By half, right. So is there a timeline on that? And just the, from the, now the, until like, the end of... To, to, to the end of time. Okay, so... coronavirus is... Is around. That's what it is. And, but that's what the risk is in this state. Now, the risk yeah. in New York is much higher if you are in Jamaica, sure. Queens, or if you're in, if you're in New Orleans, if you live in, you know, X area. Now I'm buying lottery in, tickets. You know, like in those areas, <laughs> the risk is much higher, right? Yeah. But even here in the context in which we live, based on the numbers from the Utah Department of Health, you know, you figure that that's pretty high. You know, that's, you know, how many people would... So if you take the R naught and you put it in, like, say, a group gathering of 30,000 people at a stadium, you're looking at, like, proliferation. That's why it becomes a superseded event. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it was so important that we stopped all these big events. The big events, yeah. And so now... You know, moving forward, do we continue not to have these large events and start to, you know, now that we know a little bit more and can we say, you know, um, a lot of people, I read something somewhere about there was some, in terms of restaurants and things like that, really the people who were getting it were in at the same table. The, yeah. the waiters didn't have a lot, the, the, yeah. the servers didn't have a lot to do with the transmission of disease. It was people at people the, same, at the table same table when they tried to track it. How good was the tracking then? I don't know. Is that something you're gonna hang your hat on? I don't think so. Not, not yeah. with a one in a thousand chance that you're gonna bring it home to grandpa, you know, or bring it home to your diabetic asthmatic child, yeah. you know, who, you know, those are the, those are the questions that, you know, that make it. So in terms of our community, yeah, we're real estate. We're far away from major epicenters. Um, Salt Lake in general is a relatively small major city. Um, the Utah, the population is spread over a great distance, but it could ravage Castleview. In a localized area, yeah. It would if just, it, yeah. 
I heard it attacked New York because they're liberals. <laughs> Man, that's what go. Alex Jones says. <laughs> I wonder what Michael Allen Weiner is saying right now. I, I mean, I should have paid Weiner, more attention sorry. to to the um, the telechurches. Oh. I'm I saw one clip and I was like, man. They're making Joel Osteen look weak. Like <laughs> some strong preaching going on right now. I mean, blowing the wind of God. That that came and went pretty cool. <laughs> the wind of God and the like whatever. Yeah, yeah the same guy. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember his name now. That in he, itself he, is very not COVID nineteen friendly. Uh, it's very friendly to the to the <laughs> you know. And make friends with the virus and then share. That's pretty good. No. Well, I thought I think uh, a bunch uh, of people are ready to exercise. Mm. Not a bunch. I mean, a bunch. Oh, exorcise. Yeah, exorcise. that's yeah. what you meant. Okay, it's a religious practice. We're free to do that. Yeah. Uh, I I totally appreciate you coming on here and 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 uh, informing us on stuff and sharing some of your jujitsu and hopefully we'll get to share jujitsu real soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks for having me. I was I was curious about what you guys do. I really liked. <laughs> so were we. Yeah, so were we. And everybody else that's ever been in here. Yeah. <laughs> so no matter how much they come in here, it's like, what do you guys do? We're like, we're still figuring it out. Yeah. But I liked the I liked that book, Rave. I enjoyed. You know, I've read a lot of it. Oh, nice. I enjoyed it, and so I was. I was. Uh, respect you. you guys, and I'm glad to be here. Thanks for I, coming in and helping us think. Yeah. Because it's helpful. Keegan said, "We're still trying to figure it out." <laughs> and just, in, just in many so ways, we're on the same like, page. At least the initial lockdown, I'm totally on board with. So don't break my arm or choke. No, me no, no. I understand. Wrist locked me when this is over. <laughs> yeah, he no. doesn't want to get the disease. He's not going to do that. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, it, yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody should want to get the flu. I mean, you know, just not the COVID's the flu, but you don't want to get any of these things. You yeah. know, it's like that's a that's a really it's bad not, place to put your head if that's your you know that's a i don't think anybody wants to get it i was you, talking to a friend that got it and it, i was like what was it like he's like mostly just terrifying because you know like is it going to get bad now is it now is it bad now my i feel the cough now now do i die like what, at what point do i suffer but that's also die? a lot of that i think is psychosomatic exactly. and driven yeah. by you're watching a tv telling yeah. you you're going to die 24 yeah. 7 but that's you know but that's an n of one yeah, yeah right for there's sure. other people who you know who got it who didn't go into the hospital they weren't in the icu but they were like whoa yeah like like they could feel like they were they were so sick like yeah i i really thought i was gonna have to go to the hospital like i yeah you know. I, and then I've, i had a friend talk to in the uk that got it in like the first week of quarantine and he was like man it was like i'm fine and then somebody dials it up on the i'm fucking not okay like over and over again throughout the day. And it was just like hard to read at what point do I go to the hospital? Yeah. And what does that do to you and your family? And the, yeah. you know, like, where do you go? You know, it's like, yeah. what do you do? You know, well, who's going to feed you? How are you going to, you know, you're going to share the bathroom and how, if you yeah. don't, if you're in a place where you can't isolate, you can't go like Utah, we all have basements, you know, most, oh, most yeah, a lot of people, we can go isolate somewhere. And, and, you know, what if you can't, you know, <laughs> Well, you got my office. Uh, oh, <laughs> I have. I can stay right here. Hey, I'm gonna. I, I got dibs on upstairs. Okay. <laughs> I got Aaron's office. Is it? 
You could take the gym too, or you could split it. <laughs> I get the kitchen. I'm just... <laughs> I get the food. Smart. You guys at least See, get the that's bathroom. smart. Yeah. 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 Smart. Take the I'll kitchen. Be water bottles and five gallon buckets upstairs. It's <laughs> not going to be pretty. Kitty litter. Ooh, I've heard. Smart. You could tell he survived in the wilderness. Because <laughs> there's so much kitty litter out there. Because <laughs> yeah. he's not a cat person. <laughs> yeah. All right. well, thanks, Tom. I yeah, thank it. you. Traumaton. Traumaton. Until next time. <laughs>